This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. Judges chapter 14 and 15. We are for our guests in a series uh, going through the book of Judges, and uh, we will finish it soon, um, but not today, but we're, we're getting closer and closer. Um, and these judges were people that God raised up in this, this period in between the time when Joshua died, the one who led them into the promised land coming out of Egypt after Moses died, Joshua. He dies, and in between the time of, of Joshua's death and the time when the, when the monarchy was established, with first with King Saul and then David and so forth, It's this period of 300 and some years when there was no king in Israel. And we're going to see that phrase repeated in in the coming weeks several times. There was no king in Israel. And what God did was he raised up men and women who served as essentially as military leaders to drive out the oppressing nations that surrounded Israel and came in and infiltrated the land that did not belong there. And, and oppressed the people and brought in their pagan gods. And God would raise up these particular Gideon and Deborah and Barak and all the ones that we've looked at. And they would come in as military leaders and lead great armies and defeat the Midianites, so forth, these foreign people, foreign nations. Samson's different than all the rest. The rest of them were called to be judges, appointed by God to be judges, as adults, they were already grown, and they were up there, and they were adults and so forth. And God says, you're going to be uh, military leaders. You're and uh, he would choose them uh, to do that. Samson was chosen by God to be a judge in Israel before he was born, wasn't he? We saw that in chapter 13 a few weeks ago. God uh, came, Jesus came in, in, the, in the form of the angel of the Lord. That's an Old Testament appearance of Christ. He came and he gave the, the message to uh, Samson's mom, and we don't know her name. Um, uh, and said, hey, you, you have no children and been unable to have children, but you're going to have a child. You and your husband are going to have a baby boy, and, uh, and he's going to become a judge in Israel. In fact, at the end of chapter 13, or not the end of chapter 13, but in chapter 13, uh, verse 5, it says, and he'll begin to save Israel from the power of the Philistines. That's his purpose in life. But I look at this man as we begin to get in. Now he's an adult. And the things that he did, and we're, you know, most of us are, if we, if, if we could all tell a story about Samson, we know the story about Samson and Delilah. That's the one that most of us would recount. But there are other stories, and we're going to deal with some of those today in these two chapters. Um, we, we meet this guy chosen to be a judge, chosen to be a deliverer from before his, his birth, but with Samson, there is no army to lead. God doesn't say, raise up an army of this many or that many and go fight these guys and drive them out. There's no army. Samson is a one-man army, a one-man wrecking crew, a one-man hero empowered by the Holy Spirit to do things that no man had ever done before. He had these supernatural feats of strength that he had. He's a lone champion for Israel, personally keeping the enemy Philistines distracted. Distracted from what? From what? From launching a full-scale war against Israel. 
He's kind of like the guy that's here, he's here and he's there and he's doing, you'll see him do some amazing things and he's keeping the Philistines kind of there. Where is he going to appear next and what's he going to do? He's an example. If you're taking notes this morning, Samson is an example that God works in ways that we find perplexing or even confusing or surprising. He works, God's going to work in this guy's life, and I'm reading this, I said, God, how can you possibly use this man? But he does. God's purposes for Samson's life, and God works according to his purposes. And here's the deal with with us, big difference between you and me and God. We see right now, don't we? We see right now. And, and the picture that we see in our lives, we may have a picture that we kind of have, we think we know what's going to happen in our lives. We may know when we're going to have children or when we're going to build a home or when we're going to uh, uh, you know, um, retire from our, our career, whatever it might be. And we kind of have these things pictured out in our minds, don't we? You know, most of us do, planned out. God often surprises us with different things that we didn't know were coming into our lives and shakes things up. But here's the thing with God. God sees a greater picture than you or I could ever see. Because God can see beyond right now. None of us in this room, if I said, somebody please tell me what you're going to be doing tomorrow from midnight to midnight, from midnight tonight to midnight, everything that you're going to do, every person that you're going to speak to, everything that's going to happen in your life, would you, would you detail it for us right now? Just kind of run through it with us right now. And you know what? None of us could do that, could we? None of us, because we can't see tomorrow. God sees the big picture, great big picture. And the big picture with Samson was God's purpose, that he was going to save them, Israel, from the power of the Philistines. So look with me at verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah, chapter 14, and he saw a young Philistine woman there. Now, a couple weeks ago, we gave a list of things that we'll see in Samson's life, his weaknesses. And one of his weaknesses was women. So let me read that again. He went down to Timnah, and he saw a young Philistine woman there. And everybody say with me, "Uh uh-oh. He went back and told his father and his mother, I have seen a young Philistine woman in Timnah. Now go get her for me as my wife. It was their culture. It was their custom for a young man's father to go find a suitable woman to be his wife. In other words, you didn't really have a say in who you were going to marry. That was up to dad. And you really kind of hope that your grandfather had done a good job in selecting a wife for your dad. Because if he didn't, chances are dad's not going to do a good job for you either. You know, this happened to me, it's going to happen to him. But Samson comes and says, I found this Philistine woman. I want you to go and make arrangements with her father that we might be married. Problem there? Yeah, big problem. What's the problem? The biggest problem is that God had forbidden the Israelites to marry outside of their own nation, their own people. The Israelites, again, we talked about Samson's purpose in life. The Israelites' purpose as a nation was was to be a, a, a people holy and completely devoted to Almighty God. The Philistines did not know the Israelites' God. They had their own gods, their false gods, their pagan gods. 
And so God, before they enter the land, God says, here's one of our rules, Israel. You don't marry outside of your own faith, outside of your own people. Because as soon as you do, here's what's going to happen. These spouses, whether it's husband or wife, outside of the faith are going to begin to drag you away from, God would be saying, from me. They're going to drag you into their false religions and worshiping their false gods. And let me ask you a question. If you went to Sunday school or you've been in church for very long and you've read the Old Testament, is that what happened to the people of Israel? Every single time that's what happened. So God said, don't do it. He comes to his father and says, hey, there's this Philistine girl. I think she's great. Would you go and and do the negotiations with her dad so that I might marry her? And his father, his mother said to him, verse 3, hey, boy, son, can't you find a young woman among your relatives, among any of our people? Surely in in our tribe right here, there's thousands of girls that are eligible to be your wife. Why do you have to go after uncircumcised Philistines for for a wife. Why do you have to go to those that are not our people? Don't worship our God. But Samson told his father, get her for me because I want her. Now, I don't know how old Samson is right now. He's about 20 or so, I think. But he's acting like a two-year-old. He's acting like the two-year-old that you're taking and you're going shopping with mom and you happen to, by mistake, and you learn early not to do this, you walk through the toy section of the store to get to the household goods, whatever it might be. Bad mistake. Because what does the two-year-old see? Everything on that shelf and everything on that shelf is what he or she wants. I want that, I want that, I want that. No, not today. You can't have, mom, can I get, no, you can't have that today. And and some of you, don't raise your hands, but some of you understand what it means to, for a child to throw a tantrum because they don't get what they want. Am I right? Oh, yeah. And some of us as adults, our parents, if they were here today, they would look at us and say, that was you. So we, we understand what that's, this is what Sam, he's pitching, a, he's having, no, no, I don't care, Dad. This is what I want even though it violates what God has said. Now, his father and mother, verse 4, important verse here. His father and mother did not know that this was from the Lord. What was from the Lord? This going after this Philistine girl. Wait a second. God said you can't marry Philistine. Right. This was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion against the Philistines at that time. The Philistines were ruling over Israel. I read that and I said, okay, now God said you can't marry outside of your own family, your own faith, your own country. And this says that Samson's desire for this Philistine girl to marry her, this was from the Lord. What does that mean? How does that work? How many of you are familiar with Romans 8, 28? Right? Two or three of us? I bet more of us are, aren't we? Romans 8, 28. Romans 8, 28 is a verse that you ought to be familiar with. I hope you, you memorize it, you treasure it in your heart, because it's a verse that gives us this assurance. Listen, that no matter what happens in our lives, and not everything that happens in our lives is good, is it? No, lot is not good. Not everything that happens in our lives are things that we really kind of planned for. They're surprises. Life throws us curveballs. 
Not everything that happens in our life is something we jump up and down about and get excited about, is it? Especially after we come back from one of those doctor's visits, you know, and we get some news that's not really great. And we think, God, why now? Why me? Uh, this, I thought you loved me, God. Romans 8.28 is a verse that says that God is ultimately in control and can fix what we've messed up. Um, the verse is up on the screen. How many now say, oh yeah, I'm familiar with Romans 8.28. Right. Let's read it together. and Read this. Don't, don't try to say it from memory because you might have memorized a different translation of the verse. Read it with me. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Better translation uh, would be that all things are, uh, literally it should be working together. It's active. All things are working together. And it says we know, and the word for know there is a word that means we absolutely know. Right? There's not a little bit of doubt in there. We know for sure that all things that happen in and about our lives, God is able to take those things, good, bad, and indifferent, and he's able to transform them and meld them together for the good of those who love God. Um, but the promise, by the way, is not a universal promise for all of mankind. You know, This is not something that we quote and share with people who don't know the Lord, because this is not applicable to them. This is not their verse. Because it says this verse only applies to who? Those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Who are those people who love God and called according to his purpose? Christians. All right, that's us. That was the church at Rome that Paul was writing to. So this is for believers. So if you are in Christ as a Christian, this applies to your life. Now, it doesn't. The verse also does not say that everything we do is good, does it? How many of you would be willing to confess this morning, not everything I do, not everything I say, not everything that happens in my life that I choose is good for me? Would you raise your hand? Not everything. All right. Yeah, none of us are perfect. We don't do only good things. What this verse says, God who sees the big picture of my life, God, in his supernatural ability, works things together. He takes my mistakes. He takes my bad choices. And he says, okay, if you'll be patient with me, I'm going to, for lack of a better word, I'm going to fix this. We don't know how he's going to do it. But he, he does. He works things together. He provides through his power ways for things to, the word work together is the word that means cooperate in the accomplishment of his purposes in our lives. We might think when something happens in our lives, we, it, it might be our thought immediately, this is the worst thing that could ever happen. And I know people that things happen in their lives and, and, and I think, gosh, it could not be any worse for you. How could it possibly be any worse? God's able to take the worst that's happened and he has a way of, if we'll be patient, then let him work, working them out for our good. In the story, God allows Samson's self-indulgence. There's that girl over there, Dad. I want you to go get her. He allows Samson's self-indulgence for Samson's for God's greater purpose and the greater purpose in Samson's life. As I said, he's like that child in the toy department. 
And that's one of his weaknesses. He's compulsive. And that shows us that God works all things, even in our mistakes, even in our rebellious hearts and our selfishness. He works all things for his purposes. He's, listen, write this down it's somewhere in your notes if you're writing notes. This isn't in there, but just I think it's worthwhile. God is able to overwhelm or overcome me for his glory. You hear that? He's able to overwhelm or overcome me and my life, my choices for his purposes, for his glory. And it was Samson's life, that's where God wanted to show the world that his power through Samson was stronger than the power of the Philistines. So, here's another point in your notes. Um, and it's this. Um, God isn't looking for perfection. He's looking for willingness. He's not looking for perfection. He's looking for willingness. Verse 5. So Samson goes down to Timnah. That's where this girl is. He's gone back. He went down to Timnah, hanging out, sees this girl, comes back, says, Dad, I want to marry that girl. He goes back down to Timnah with his father and mother. And they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And apparently mom and dad kept going. But Samson said, I'm going to go into the vineyards and I'm going to pick some grapes. You know, I'm a little hungry and, and go in there and pick some grapes, which probably he wasn't as a Nazarite allowed to do. If you read their vow, he was a Nazarite. This vow had been made for him. He goes down to pick some grapes. Mom and dad keep going. And while he's in the vineyard, suddenly a young lion came roaring at him. Not an old, weak, feeble, toothless lion. A young lion, strong lion, virile lion. I kind of was a little bit, you know, I read this and I've read the stories of David. You know, David says, I killed the lion, I killed the bear, I can kill this Philistine Goliath. And so I thought there must have been lions in Israel back in those days. So I did some research found out there is a species of lion. You know, most of the time when I think of lions, I think of African lions, don't you? The Lion King, that kind of thing. And, but there was a species of lion, and there still is, called the Asiatic lion. They only live now, today, they're only found in one region, one province in, it would be, Extreme Western India. If you looked at a map of India, it would be right over in here, right on, the, on the, uh, the Indian Ocean, this province is. And there is a national park, and all that's left of this particular species of lion that used to be in the Middle East, that used to go up through Turkey and into Greece and into South, uh, so South um, um, Eastern Asia, or excuse me, Europe, and Iran, and Iraq, and Persia, and all, the, all those countries, those lions were there. Now they've they're been killed off over the years, and they only exist, there's only about 800 of them that are still living, and they live in this one spot in India, but they used to be all throughout the Middle East. They look very similar to, to the African lion. They just have a little bit less hair. Um, the males, their mane is not as thick and big as the African lion, but, but they're very, very... Similar. So this lion, young lion, comes roaring at him from inside this vineyard. And the Spirit of the Lord took control of him. This is the second time that we've seen this phrase in Samson's life. 
God's Spirit comes a hold of him, takes control of him to empower him. And it says, and he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he would have torn a young goat. The, the language gives, gives the idea of when they would, they would do this with kill young animals that they would eat, like a rabbit, or no, they wouldn't eat a rabbit, but, but a young animal that they would eat and, and simply to, to rip it apart, um, grab it by its hind legs and just do that. He grabs this lion by its hind legs and kills him with his bare hands. That's a supernatural feat, would you not say? I, tr- I try to close my eyes, and in my eyes, I'm thinking Johnny Weissmuller, Tarzan, you know. And, but, but he didn't even, you know, with his bare, John, he always had a knife. With his bare hands, he kills this lion. But he didn't tell his father and mother what he had done. They've gone on ahead. He didn't come out of the, the vineyard, you know, kind of brushing himself off and eating some grapes and just killed me a lion, Pop, you know. Well, you got no, you got no weapons. You got no sword. You got no spear. You got no just with my bare hands. He didn't tell his parents. And then he went and spoke to the women, because Samson, the father, went and spoke to the woman because Samson wanted her. The father went and said, "Hey, my son would like to marry you." And so the girl, no doubt, introduced Samson's father to her father. Well, after some time, we don't know how long, but it's been a little while because he goes back. He left her. He returned to get her. He left the road to see the lion's carcass. He, he was on his way back home, and he went back home, and he's coming back down. He says, I just want to see what happened with that dead lion that I left there. Nazarites were not allowed by the law of God to touch anything that was dead. That was another part of the vow. Can't touch anything dead. I'm going to go back and see what's happened to the carcass. Well, you know, as any animal carcass is going to do when it's there in the wild and just sitting there, vultures and other animals are going to come and pick it clean, and that's what's happened. There's nothing left of this lion's carcass now but a skeleton. But here's what's happened that's really neat. Uh, a, high, a swarm of bees has come inside the skeleton, formed a hive, and they're producing honey. Honey's good, right? I like it. I put it in my coffee every day. He scooped some honey. He found the swarm of bees in the carcass. He scooped some honey into his hands, and he ate it as he went along. And when he returned to his father and mother, he shared some of it with them, and they ate it. But he didn't tell them that he had scooped the honey from the lion's carcass. Why not? Because this was a violation of what his life was supposed to be about. Don't tell mom and dad. They're going to yell at me. His father went to visit the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there as young men were accustomed to do. Let me back up. Let me stop right there and, 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 say, and, and talk about this. Um, the lion. You and I who are believers fight a lion in our lives. Did you know that? Are you aware that you fight? You're a lion fighter if you're a Christian? And we say, what are you talking about? In a symbolic sense, we, we fight against a lion, a powerful lion as we live life. And the lion here, I think in Samson's story, for us would be a picture of, of Satan. First Peter 5, 8, Peter writes to the Christians in the first century, he says, be sober, be alert, be aware of what's going on around you is what that means. 
Be sober, be alert. Why? Your adversary, your enemy, the devil is doing what? Prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for whom anyone he can devour. The devil's out and he's about, and he's going to be tomorrow. I think Monday is one of the devil's favorite days, by the way. But he's going to be out and about, and he's going to be looking for ways he can destroy your life by making you doubt, by bringing temptation into your life that he knows, boy, Rick really struggles with this. I'm going to put this in front of him today and see if he doesn't bite the hook. See if I can't really mess him up. We fight this devil. We battle with this devil. And the power to defeat the lion and the lion's attacks against you and me as we stand for Christ can only come from God. Samson could not have killed this lion by himself. His, his power, his strength that he had was supernatural. It wasn't because Samson worked out in the gym every day. That's not where it came from. And you and I, the same thing. The power to defeat the lion comes from God. But we have to be sober. And, and in the literal sense, we've got to be aware of what's going on around us. We have to be on the alert and our problem with us as believers is that we too often get mauled and defeated by the devil's tactics because we are focused on the world and not on Christ. I saw, and I still see it happen. So many Christian people are just so focused on the things of the world today. And they're attacking one another rather than focusing on Christ. Now, here's another lesson. Samson has this victory over the lion. He kills the lion. Then he makes a mistake. Because in order to get that honey, what did he have to do? He had to touch something that was dead. Now, the next point is this. Put this up there, Roxanne, if you will. It's easy to lose after a win. He had the win, killing the lion. And then he lost, eating the honey. Shouldn't have done that. Should have left it alone. I'm not supposed to go there. He could have come back and said, hey, Dad, I killed this lion a few weeks ago, and there's bees in there making honey. If you'll go get a jar and you fill it up with honey, I love some honey, but I can't touch it. Dad could because Dad wasn't a Nazarite. He had not made that vow, but he doesn't do that. There's a danger, there's a temptation that can come after spiritual victory. And all of us probably in our lives as Christians have had at times in our lives, and maybe it's, it's, they're very recent, and hopefully for you they're very frequent victories. Maybe you pray about something that you just wonder, God, can you do this? Can you handle this? And God says, I'll take care of it for you. And he does. He comes through. But, but whenever we have spiritual victories, we get the spiritual high, if you will, from what God's doing in my life. His supernatural ability to do things beyond what I could ask or think. There is a temptation often that comes after that, and that is to do something wrong, to come down off of that. For Samson, it was eating the honey from the dead carcass. For us, it might simply be a feeling of, of, of invincibility. Man, the devil, the devil I, I really kicked him down, didn't I? He's not going to mess with me anymore. Really? You know, you ever have that feeling about the devil when you've done something and God's done something in your life and you, and you look at the devil, so to speak, and you say, try that again. Well, let, let, listen to me. We're stupid if we dare the devil to try something again because he's going to. 
because he knows our propensity as humans is to come down from that high, to, to put ourselves on cruise control, if you will, in neutral, and begin to coast. You know, we're on this spiritual high, and, and, and there's a hill going down on the other side, and I can coast for a while. But guess what's at the bottom of the hill? Guess how far up the hill and the next hill we can go if we're on cruise con- or if we're on coast? Not very far. And the devil knows that. And he, he works that way in our lives. We get pride in our hearts so we can put ourselves in neutral. We stop doing the things that made us spiritually strong. Before we know it, we've reached into the skeleton and we've scooped out something with our hands that we shouldn't have touched. All right, verse 10. I'm going to read a long section now. So I hope you're reading along with me. If you're not, you're going, to kind of, you're going to have to really be sharp with your listening ears. His father went to visit the woman, this Philistine woman, and Samson prepared a feast there. This was the custom. Going to have a big bachelor party. All right? Problem is, Samson, this isn't Samson's hometown. Samson's got no friends down here. But he's going to throw a big party, a big drinking party probably, and he's going to have this big feast as young men were accustomed to do, is what they did. When the Philistines saw him, Samson's got this big party, he needs some buddies. So they brought 30 men to accompany him. So now he's got 30 friends, so to speak. Back in those days, they entertained, you know, they did not have TV or, or all, you know, all the things that we have today to entertain ourselves. So one of the ways, I'm going to sit on the edge of this, please hope that I don't fall backwards. <laughs> That would be fun, wouldn't it? <laughs> all, the, all the phones would come out taking pictures of Pastor Rick. Pastor Rick, he's self-baptized today. One of the ways they entertained themselves at parties and different things was, was playing games and telling riddles. Riddles. And Samson said, I know, guys. Let me throw this riddle at you. See who can figure it out. So he has this riddle. Verse 12, he says, if you can explain it to me during the seven days of the feast, that's how long the feast lasted before the consummation of the marriage. I mean, we have wedding ceremonies that last. If you you want to get married in a hurry, invite Andy to do your wedding because it lasts about eight minutes and 13 seconds, right? I mean, it's quick. Um, But they would go for a week. It's all part of the marriage. If you can figure it out during the seven days, I'll give each of you, he says, linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. I'll, gi- I'll give everybody a new suit. Underwear too. That's what he's saying to them. Well, they said, tell us your riddle. They like that idea. Figure out the riddle. I'll get some new clothes. Tell us your riddle. They replied, let's hear it. So he says to them, he's thinking of the story of the lion, okay? He says to them, Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. I I find this interesting because Samson wasn't speaking English. He was speaking Hebrew, yet it rhymes in English. You know, I like, like how that happens. Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. After three days, these 30 guys, they're racking their brains. They can't figure this out. On the fourth day, because they were running out of time, they said to Samson's wife, to this young Philistine woman, persuade your husband to explain the riddle to us, or we will burn you 
and your father's household, meaning your family, to death. Did you invite us here to rob us? They're really angry. They want these new clothes. They're willing to commit murder, mass murder, if you will, of a whole family. So Samson's wife comes to him, weeping. Again, we said a couple weeks ago, one of Samson's weaknesses was women. Guys, let me talk to the the men just for a second. Just the men. Ladies, think about something else. How many of you guys have a really difficult time when your wife comes to you and she is crying? I mean, there are tears. How many guys just, oh, man. It just, you can't. How many guys, I cannot deal with a crying woman, all right? Would you raise your hand? Some of you guys are hard-hearted, all right? Now, you know, I mean, when, and they know, guys, listen, they know that, right? They know, if I cry, I'll get what I want. So, all right, ladies, back with me now, okay? She comes to him weeping, and she said, you hate me. You don't love me. And I'm thinking, Samson's thinking, but I've only known you for five days. No, but no. But he doesn't respond that way. You hate me. You don't love me. You told my people the riddle, but you haven't explained it to me. Now let me talk to the ladies for a second. How many of you ladies, especially wives, don't like to be the last one to find out what your husband's up to? All right? Raise your hand. Yeah, if Gail was sitting here and she was in the last gathering, she raised her hand because that's one of her things is, why am I the last to know? All right? Don't like that, do you, girls? No. How come all these guys know and you haven't told me the answer? You should have told me first. And guys, there's a reason why we don't tell them first sometimes, and I won't go there. But sometimes we, there's a reason. Why haven't you explained it to me? And he says, look, I haven't even explained it to my parents. So why should I explain it to you? So what does she do? She wept the whole seven days of the feast. This is really getting on him. And at last, on the seventh day, he explained it to her. Now, I'm just going to read the Bible here, ladies, okay? I'm not making this up. This is word for word out of the Bible. He explained it to her because she had nagged him so much. What it says. I can't relate to that. <laughs> then she explained it to her people. She told these 30 guys, here's the answer to the riddle. And on the seventh day before sunset, at the last possible minute, the men of the city said to him, we've got it figured out. What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? He said to them, now, keep in mind they live in an agricultural culture, society. Because the words he's going to say, you ladies are going to go, well, I can't believe he said that. But he's, they're talking, maybe they met on farmersonly.com, okay? Listen. (laughs) Because he says to them, if you hadn't plowed with my young cow, you wouldn't know my riddle now. It rhymes too, doesn't it? He knew where they got the answer. It was from this this young bride of his. It got him really mad because they cheated. 
Now he's got to come up with 30 suits of clothes. Well, he doesn't want to go out to the store and buy 30 suits of clothes. So, and this is, God again wants him to overthrow the Philistines, correct? The Spirit of the Lord took control of him, and he went down to Ashkelon, a Philistine city, and he killed 30 of their men. He stripped them, gave them their clothes to those who had explained the riddle in a rage. And Samson returned to his father's house. He didn't go back to finish the wedding feast and marry this girl. He gets mad, and he goes home. He abandons her, at least that's what they think. And his wife was given to one of the men who had accompanied him. His wife was given to his best man, essentially. The father said, look, I'm, he, my daughter's crying because he's gone. Um, would you like to marry my daughter? Sure. Samson goes home, and then after a while, later on during the wheat harvest, apparently a season has passed, and they've har- harvested all the wheat, and the wheat are, is in the fields waiting to be, waiting to be taken care of and, and separating the wheat from the chaff and, and all of that. And these mounds and piles of wheat in the fields, he goes and he takes a young goat as a gift and visits his wife. Young goat. Today, guys, we would take her a puppy. All right? He takes a young goat uh, to visit his wife, and he goes back down there, and he, and he said, I want to go to my wife in her room, but... He said, but her father would not let him enter. Why? Because she's married to somebody else. And he says, the father says to Samson, I was sure you hated her. So I gave her to one of the men who accompanied you. But in order, you know, the father, you know, he's heard about what Samson did with those men in Ashkelon. Now, I really don't want to get on this guy's bad side. So the father says, but, but here's the good news. Behind curtain B, you know, and he pulls back curtain B and he says, is her younger sister, and she's way prettier than her older sister. Why don't you marry her? That's not what Samson wants. Samson doesn't love this younger sister. So Samson said to them, this time I won't be responsible when I harm the Philistines. So he goes out and he catches 300 foxes, or the word could be translated jackals. But he takes these animals, 300 of them, and he ties their tails together and he puts torches in where their tails are tied together, lights the torches and sends them through their wheat fields and burns up their crop, their wheats, their wheat, their grapes, the vineyards. It, he destroys all of it. The olive groves, it's all burnt up. Verse 6, the Philistines said, who did this? And they were told it was Samson, the Timnites' son-in-law, because he's taken Samson's wife and given her to another man. So they're blaming it on this girl and her, her father, So the Philistines went to her and her father and burned them to death. Violence begets violence, by the way, doesn't it? Then Samson told them, because you did this, I swear that I won't rest until I have taken vengeance on you. And he tore them limb from limb, these men that killed this man and his daughter, tore them limb from limb with his bare hands. He killed these men with a great slaughter. And then he went down and stayed in the cave at the rock of Edom. Well, the Philistines came up and camped in Judah and raided Lehi. They're right there in Judah, began to raid it. And so the men of Judah said, hey, why are you? Why are you doing this to us? Why have you attacked us? What do we do to you? They reply, we've come to arrest Samson and pay him back for what he did to us. 
Well, then 3,000 men of Judah went to the cave at the Rock of Edom, and they asked Samson, hey, man, don't you understand what you're doing? You're not helping us out. You're supposed to be the deliverer. You're supposed to be the one that's protecting us from the Philistines, and all they're doing is they're coming and destroying. They're, they're going to destroy us because of your actions. Don't you realize the Philistines rule over us? They're more powerful than us. What, what, if, what have you done to us? Can you, can you not see the consequences of your actions, Samson? And Samson said, I've done to them what they did to me. They said to him, we've come to arrest you and hand you over to the Philistines. And Samson told them, okay, but swear to me that you yourselves won't kill me. I'll let you take me to them, but tell them, promise me you're not going to kill me. And they said, no, we won't kill you, but we will tie you up securely and hand you over to them. So they tied him up with two new ropes and led him away from the rock. Now, let me ask you a question. Let's back up. Was it God's will for Samson to marry this Philistine girl? No. Did he marry this Philistine girl? No. He used all of those events, however, to get Samson to work against and fight against the Philistines and keep them from amassing an army and attacking. The rage that sent him home instead of back to the wedding feast is just another example of God's directing Samson's life even in his weakness. But anger, his weakness is what is anger. Anger is something that we're told as Christians to put away. And then when he learned his wife had been given to his best man, like any man, he got angry. And yet God used that to bring damage to the Philistines. So please, the next point in your notes is when we live out God's purposes, we will be opposed. We live out God's purposes, we will be opposed. The Philistines avenge their losses by killing Samson. Killing is, is uh, Samson's love, this girl, and they hoped it would end Samson's actions against them, but it didn't. Then let me real quickly tell you what happens. Samson then, he's, a, he, he's arrested, he's tied up, he's taken to the Philistines. The Bible says that the ropes, he just snapped the ropes off his hands like they were nothing. And then he finds a, a fresh jawbone of a donkey somewhere outside a butcher shop or a slaughterhouse or something, fresh jawbone of a donkey, and he picks it up, and with that jawbone of a donkey, he kills a thousand Philistine men. Who ever heard of that before? Point for your notes. Hold on. Don't hold on to past victories. Look for what's next. What do you mean? Whoever, have you ever heard of anybody else using the jawbone of a donkey as a weapon? No. A thousand men were killed with that? That was a miracle. That was a demonstration of God's power. But notice that it does say the jawbone was fresh. It wasn't old. It wasn't brittle. And I guess he looked around and he said, what's at my disposal? What can I use to do this? And, and there was that jawbone, so he picks it up. He had no sword, he had no chariot, he had no bow, no arrow. There's this jawbone. It wasn't a jawbone that had been hanging up somewhere for 10 years in somebody's trophy room. But don't miss, there, look with me in verse 17. Four very important words. It says, he threw away the jawbone. When he used it, he defeated the enemy, he tosses it away. He's not going to use it ever again. And here's, I think the lesson here for us is that too many Christians and too many churches are still using old jawbones that at one time worked really well. 
but they've hung on to them for far too long. Or maybe you and I have this spiritual trophy case that says, you know, at one time in my life, I was doing some mighty things for God. I was resting on my laurels, if you will. If we, you and I, Christian, if we're not looking for fresh ways to serve God and do the mission he's called us to do, hear me, before long, all we will have are memories. Nothing that he's doing in my life today. So God wants us to be fresh, and he wants us to find what's fresh and use it for his glory. I'm sure when he picked up that jawbone, people said, what's he going to do with that? But he did something mighty with it. Last point in your notes. Depend on God's strength and his provision. So Samson defeats these thousand. After I mean, it takes a little while to do that, and you can imagine he's exhausted and he's dying. He thinks of thirst, and he says, God, have you allowed me to do this just so I can now die of thirst? And the Bible says that God split a hollow place in the ground, and water came up a spring, and he drank, and his strength returned, and he revived. He said, God, I can't go on without your strength. And Paul understood that serving the Lord in the most difficult of situations, he had attempts on his life, and he shared this wisdom with us. He said in 2 Corinthians 4.16, Therefore, do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, Samson said, I'm about to die of thirst here, God. Our inner person is being renewed day by day. And it reminds me of a a story in in the New Testament in John when Jesus said to a woman at a well, he said to her, whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again, ever. In fact, the water that I give him will become a well of water springing up within him for eternal life. And he puts that well inside your heart, Christian, so that you never spiritually will die of thirst. God won't let that happen. Let's bow for prayer. You and I, are, there, there are things in this story that you and I can relate to. I know every single one of us can. I can. I'm sure you can as well with Samson's life because we, we're not perfect. But God doesn't look for perfection. He looks for willingness in our lives. He's got things he wants to do in and through us, and he can, Romans 8, 28, work that together for his glory, for his purposes in our lives, if we will trust him. What does God want to do in you? Are you about to quit? Are you looking back at the trophy case because there's not much been happening in your life spiritually for a long, long time? God says, get rid of the old jawbone. Find something fresh and new a new way to serve me, something maybe you haven't done before. But give it to me and let me use it in your hands. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God, love others, reach the world.